on Shavuot to read Megillat Rut. And the question is why? Why do we read Megillat Rut during Shavuot? We know that Shmuel HaNavi is the writer of, uh, of Megillat Rut. And what it sounds like, it sounds like because uh, we say that David HaMelech was born and he died on Shavuot. This sounds like a family history discuss the ancestors of David HaMelech. But is that really the main reason that we're reading Megillat Rut? <coughs> the uh, the Megillah begins with the words we know It was in the days of the judges judging and It tells us that it was the time of the judges The period of the Shoftim We have Sefer HaShoftim And that's the book that comes after Yoshua It's the period after Yoshua And the period before Shmuel Before Shmuel becomes the Navi Before Shaul HaMelech Before David HaMelech obviously so if this is the period of the Shoftim, the rabbis ask a question, who's the Shofet? Who's the judge? Who was the judge at that time? And the rabbis tell us the judge at that time was Ifsan from Yehuda. Who is Ifsan? The rabbis tell us Ifsan is another name of Boaz. He's also Boaz. So Boaz is a big part of the story. The, the, uh, so now there was we we hear it was there was a a hunger in the land there was a famine the rabbis tell us there were nine major famines so far this was the sixth of the nine the first was in the time of Adam the second in Lemach the third in Abraham the fourth Yitzchak the fifth Yaakov this is the sixth then we're going to see one in David's time Eliyahu's time and Elisha's time. So telling us there was a famine in the time of the judges takes us to the next thought. We read in the uh, Megillah, there was a man, and he moved. He moved to Moab. And then we read in the next verse, his name was Elimelech, his wife is Naomi, and we have his two sons. And they dwell in Moab. So they leave Eretz Yisrael, they leave Bethlehem, Bethlehem, and they move to, uh, to, uh, to Moab. And it says that Elimelech died. The question is, why did Elimelech die? And when did Elimelech die? How many years did he live in Moab before he died? Seems from the Megillah, dies rather quickly. But at the same time, the rabbis tell us that he bought 11 fields. He was a very, very wealthy man in Moab. So, so when, when does he die? And why does he die? So some of the opinions the rabbis tell us is because he left the country. Another opinion is he could have supported all the poor people who were suffering through the famine that was going on in Eretz Israel, And uh, he refused. He left, he died. The, the other question is, was he killed because he left and he didn't support the people? Or was he killed because he left Eretz Israel and someone is not supposed to leave Eretz Israel even if there's a famine? But there's a problem because the rabbis tell us that during a famine, it's permitted to leave. Rambam specifically says that one could leave only in a famine. Rambam writes that he living in Egypt was sinning by not living in Eretz Israel. And uh, so if there's a famine, he's allowed to leave. So if he's a famine and he, if there's a famine and he leaves, why is he being killed because he left? So many rabbis compare the leaving of Elimelech to the leaving of Abraham Avinu. We know that in Lech Lecha, Abraham Avinu is told by Hashem to go to Eretz Israel. He comes to Eretz Israel and he see he finds there's a famine there, and he leaves and he goes to Egypt. Was he allowed? Was he not allowed? Again, there's an argument, but most of the rabbis say, yeah, he was allowed because there was a famine. 
But what did he do? We see that Abraham literally went through every penny that he had. He spent everything he had, and only when he was completely broke and literally living on borrowed money does he go to Egypt. Now Elimelech, he didn't need to leave. He was very, very wealthy. The name Elimelech also has a connotation of Alai Melech, upon me is the king. He, in his mind, maybe was supposed to be the king. Maybe he was, in his mind, the ancestor of the king. He knows that there's something with the kingship related to him. So there's three opinions of why he dies. One, he should support the people and not leave them. Two, he should stay in Eretz Yisrael and not leave Eretz Yisrael. And three, is because the simple fact that he left, and he was such an important guy, causes the rest of the people in the country to become depressed and that desperation, that depression in the people was a sin that he caused. And he shouldn't have done it. So he dies. When he dies, he's called Ish Naomi. Why is he called Ish Naomi? Why, why related again to Naomi? Of course, we already know that his, uh, his wife is Naomi. Why is he called Ish Naomi? So the rabbis comment, you know what? Ish Naomi, because a wife or a spouse feels the passing of their spouse more than anybody else. There's a story of the Gaon Mivilna. His mother is about to die. And he tells her, when you get up to Shemayim and you go to court, say nothing. Just one thing, that you were a widow for many years. It's a free pass to Gan Eden. Widow many years. We see that uh, Naomi is going to become a widow for many years. And she's called, it's, he's called Ish Naomi. But really, do we learn anything from the title? And the next question we're going to have is, she's left with her two children. Well, we know that she's left with her two children because she went with her husband and her two children and her husband died. What do the two children do? They marry girls from Moab, Orpah and Ruth. Now, we assume they didn't get married until their father was dead. And we see that the, the Megillah tells us they lived like 10 years. Like 10 years, but we don't know how many years. And the Gemara actually argues, was it 20 years, 30 years, more than 30 years? It's a machloket. Machloket also. Did the girls, did Orpah and Ruth convert before, before they got married? Or did they convert after? And we see some of the rabbis, like Rambam, say before. Zohar says before, but many of the rabbis say, no, it couldn't have been. They never accepted it until after. Now we're going to again see the next pasuk is going to tell us that Machlon Echelion, the two sons of, of Naomi, they also die. But before they die, we see that they lose their money, they lose animals in a specific order, and the rabbis tell us that Hashem is giving hints to them. He's warning them. But why did they die? What did they do wrong? Because they married two women in Moab? Is that punished by death? Because they left Eretz Israel, they went with their father. Is that punishable by death? Because they didn't go back to Eretz Israel, is that punishable by death? Why are they punished with death? And again, the Pasuk tells us math. Naomi is left now. First it was four minus one equals three. Now three minus two equals one. Naomi is left over. Now we have to remember that the Megillah is written by Shmuel HaNavi with Ruach HaKodesh. And we have to look, when, when we go into exile, 
when a person goes into exile, when a nation goes into exile, there's reasons of going into exile. There's sparks among the goyim, and those sparks have to be gathered back. And many times, through conversion, those sparks come back. So the Jew goes to live outside of his country. He's living in a place. People say how wonderful it is to be Jewish. He, and the person there converts. And those sparks come back. That's what some of the rabbis say. That's the reason for Galut. According to the Rambam, there's a midat of chasidut, even in a famine. A midat of chasidut, a, 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 a character trait of, uh, of righteousness, even in a famine, where a person shouldn't leave Eretz Yisrael. They still shouldn't go into Galut. Machlon and Hilyon were on a very, very high, very, very high level. We see that Machlon, we don't believe that those were really their names, but we see Machlon still comes to mean maybe Mechila. And maybe because the baby born later on through Ruth is considered as if it's Machlon's child. So maybe there's some level of Mechila there. But they were at a very, very high level. And since they were at a very, very high level, maybe they were punished at that high level to the, to the, to the hair, hair breadth of justice. There's also, we know, growing up in America, that there was an attitude of Calvinism. What was Calvinism? Calvinism would say that if Hashem punished, if God punished the poor man, then I have no right to step in and intercede and change God's edict, God's plan. So maybe this was their attitude. You know what? God's punishing the people. We're out of here. We left. And we're not going back. Maybe they had an opportunity again and again to go back, but they didn't heed the warning. Now we have to remember, where did they go? They went to Moab. Where is Moab on the map? If you look at the ancient map, you can see that you have the territory of Yehuda is towards the south, while the territory of the ten tribes was further north. If you crossed from the side of Yehuda, if you crossed the Dead Sea, you came to Moab. Above Moab on the left side were the tribes that were living on the east side of the Jordan. To the right was Ammon. And below Moab was the territory of Edom. So we have to remember, so where did they basically go? They went to the other side of the Dead Sea. Now we have to also remember that Hashem promised the Jewish people ten, ten territories, ten nations in Eretz Israel. Seven we got originally, and three are only to come during the time of the Mashiach. Those three territories are the ones we just mentioned, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, from north to south. Now, when the Mashiach is going to come, those territories have to return to Eretz Israel. They have to be ruled by the Jewish people. So how do those territories, which is mostly in Jordan now, how do those territories become part of Eretz Israel? We know we say, When Hashem's going to rule in, in Yerushalayim, we have to first rule Har Esav, Har Seir, we have to first bring back those other territories. So let's just consider that maybe Elimelech had a different kind of thinking. Let's give him the positive uh, bend. Maybe Elimelech's idea was, Alai Melech, I'm supposed to be the king. If I'm supposed to be the king, let's get to the level where I'm going to bring back those other territories 
in order to allow the Mashiach to come, who's from me, in order to do that, I go to Moab, I'm a very important person, my children marry the daughters of the king, the king dies, my children take over the country, we unify Moab, Ammon, Edom, back into Eretz Israel, taking over the whole kingdom, and from there we could bring the Mashiach. Remember, the rabbis say that where is David HaMelech to be found? He's to be found in Sidon. It was known that Moab was needed to complete the redemption. And an interesting example in our own lives to see how it could have been possible for a Jew to control territory outside Eretz Israel was what happened 50 years ago with Eli Cohen. Eli Cohen was a spy working for the, the, uh, working for the state of Israel. And he came very close to becoming vice president of Syria. And he could have even gone farther. Who knows what it could have been. Imagine having Eli Cohen as the president of Syria at that time. But obviously Hashem didn't want it. But it seems that some of the rabbis say in order for the Mashiach to come, we have to be able to control these territories of what we're going to be, call the future or greater Eretz Israel. Zohar asks question, why Moab? And answers, we needed Moab. They needed to get the spark of the Mashiach out of Moab. Moab was the grandson of Lot. And we needed to get the spark of Mashiach out of Moab. So again, we have, they leave Eretz Israel. Possibly they were trying to self-justify. They had their personal reason. Families might be allowed. So why, why die? And again, we say they died because they judged wrong. They made a mistake and they were judged to the, to the nth of the degree. So now we read, the sons are dead. The father's dead. Naomi is left alone. And she hears that Hashem remembered them in Eretz Israel. There's food in Eretz Israel. The famine is over. So what does she do? She says, enough. I'm out of here. I can't stay here anymore. She doesn't even wait for the caravan to go back with. She says, I'm walking back on my own. Now, if you look at the map, it doesn't seem like such a long travel. But you still got to go around the Dead Sea to come back into into Bethlehem. So she's going to go. She's going to leave. It says, why did the famine end? Rav Yonatan ben Uziel says, Boaz was a chassid. Boaz was a righteous person. And Boaz prayed that the famine should end. And she's going to go back to Bethlehem. So now she's going to go home. The question now, we ask again, Ruth and Naomi, were they Jewish or were they not Jewish? Some opinions say they had already converted. Some said they never converted. Again, the opinions that say they never converted seem to make sense, especially at this point. Because as Naomi is going to go home, she tells them, don't come with me. Stay here. Go back to your home. Go back to your God. And if they had already converted, then how could she have done that? And they had done tremendous kindness for her, and she appreciated it. Says they fed her. They made sure she had food. They had the right to an settlement of their marriage contract, and they, they didn't demand it. They paid for the funerals of their husbands. So she blesses them and says, Hashem should do kindness to you. Go find new husbands, get married. And we see everyone's crying. 
And then she tells him something very strange. You think I'm going to have children even if I was with someone tonight. But the laws of Yibum, if she's trying to bring up the laws of Yibum, wouldn't apply because the laws of Yibum, first, if they're not Jewish, obviously they don't apply. Even if they were Jewish, Yibum only works if the brother is alive. You can't have Yibum for a person who, for a brother who doesn't exist. So maybe it's she's talking to them about continuing the family name or, or something of the sort. And then what happens is they cry again. So it's going back and forth, convincing them to leave. They don't want to leave. They want to stay with her. Finally, Orpah says, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going back home. And she, uh, the rabbis tell us since Orpah accompanied her for 40, 40 steps, there was a zechut that, uh, that was given to her, uh, her great-grandson, who was Goliath, Goliath. So now she's, uh, she's again, she tells Orpah is going to go back to her nation, her God, and Naomi is telling Ruth the same thing. Go back. Don't think that now that I'm alone that, that, that you, have, uh, you have to stay with me. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, go back. You're okay to go back home. You're okay to go back home. Don't worry about me. Sorry, I just muted um, so she says, okay, you can go back home. And Ruth says, no, I'm staying with you. Now we also have to remember, Ruth herself at this point is 40 years old. Not only is she 40 years old, we're told that she's one of the most beautiful women in the entire world. Now, 40 in those days, not too young. Go home, you'll find a husband, you're the daughter of the king, you'll be honored, you'll have everything you want. You come with me, you're possibly going to have nothing because no one's going to want to marry you because there's still a question if they could marry a Moabite woman. The Torah says you can't marry anyone from Moab and the, the question is, does it mean man or woman? And that's settled by Bedin. And even in the time of David HaMelech, the question still existed to a certain extent. And Shmuel HaNavi had to come and say, no, he determined his Betina, determined 100% that you're allowed to marry Moabiyah, but not a female, but not the male. Anyway, so she's going to come back. What is she going to come back for? But she insists, no, I'm coming back with you. I'm coming back with you. She's totally committed. And in many ways, this is the conversion of Ruth. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you die, I'm going to die. I'm not leaving you. And then we see Naomi stops arguing. She stops arguing because she pushed her away, she pushed her away, she pushed her away, and finally she realizes, okay, you're not leaving me. Now they go together. It reminds me of the words that they went together. It reminds me of the words of Abraham and Yitzhak when they go together to the Akedah. She has in some ways at this point the same status as Naomi. So they arrive in Bethlehem. Everyone comes out. They can't believe it. They see her. She's perhaps shoeless. She's been walking on the road for days or weeks, and she's with this beautiful Shiksa daughter-in-law that, for some reason, everyone recognizes Ruth, that she, she's not Jewish. Whoever sees her, they know, no, she's Moabiyah. I don't know why or how, but they do. And she tells the people, I left full, I come back empty. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And this is repeated twice. Naomi means pleasant, or her deeds are pleasant. Mara means bitter. But what does the Megillah have to tell us she wants to change her name? What's the crucial about her name? So they arrive. It's the time of the barley harvest. It's the time of the Omer. So it must be the day after Pesach. Seems they walked all the way alone and dangerous. No caravan, no 
people watching over them. There's Midrashim telling about being attacked. And uh, some of the Midrashim say they had to watch the Tehum on Shabbat, on the holidays, but who knows how they got back. They end up coming back the day after Pesach. What's going on? The rabbis tell us there's four levels of tzedakah. There's four levels of charity. And Pirkei Avot uses the word chasid. Chasid, a righteous person. And Pirkei Avot tells us that someone who gives and gets other people to give, that person is called a chasid. He goes beyond the letter of the law. But it should be someone very special that does that. We think that's normal. Everyone should give and everyone should try to encourage other people to give. Why is that person called uh, a chasid? Another place in Pirkei Avot says something even stranger. Who is a chasid? He's the person that says, Sheli, Shelcha, Shelcha, Shelcha. What is mine is yours, and what's yours is yours. What? What's mine is yours, what's yours is yours. He's very generous. Mine is yours, yours is yours. Sounds a bit crazy. Mine is yours, yours is yours. Does he really mean to give him the key to his... Uh, his car, to his house, to his, uh, his business, to his safe, to everything. Does he really mean to give him his passwords to his bank account? What's mine is yours. What, what, is the, what are the rabbis trying to tell us? The Midrash says, what's the purpose? The purpose of Megillat Rut is to teach kindness, to teach chesed. Where do we find the chesed in Megillat Rut? Mainly we find it in Ruth. Look at what she does. Look at what she, come, she gives up. She comes with her mother-in-law the entire way, following her. She gives up a life back home, a life of luxury. Then they arrived, and, and what happens? How is she going to live? She may have thought, Naomi, my mother-in-law, was the first lady of Israel. When she comes back, everyone's going to come and see her and say, Hazita, the poor lady, let's take care of her, let's do what we can for her. Instead, it seems nobody's going to do anything for her. How is she going to survive? She should go with the beggars, and she should pick up the fallen grains of barley and the areas that the farmers didn't, uh, didn't cut and the areas that the farmers forgot, and that's how she's going to live. It's almost like saying, throw some coins on the floor and go and grab them. This is what she's going to do. She was a princess and a very wealthy woman, but she's doing it for her mother-in-law. And she doesn't tell her mother-in-law, come with me. She's going to go and she's going to take care of her mother-in-law. And she's going to go every day. And she's appreciative of even being able to do this. And she's not expecting anything. She could say, hey, it's her land. This is her mother's cousin. He should take care of her. But she doesn't. She eats by Boaz. He invites her to eat after he sees her picking up from the field. And what, did the rabbi, what does the pasuk tell us? She sets aside some of the food to give it to her mother-in-law. So not only is she going to bring back the grain that, she, that she, uh, she finds, she's going to bring specifically food for her mother-in-law to eat. And how much does she collect? She collects an ifa. An ifa is like 10 omers, which means it's enough to feed two people for a week, more or less. We also see boaz. Boaz is supposed to be this person of chesed. We said before, the whole reason the, the, uh, the famine stopped, because of Boaz, because he prayed, because he was special. 
But it's a bit strange. If he's her cousin, if Naomi is his aunt, what should he do? Auntie, come live in my house. I feel terrible. What happened to you? This is crazy. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about eating. You don't have to worry about anything. But he's just being nice. Throw some food down so Ruth can gather it. Maybe he wants her to have some self-respect that she's doing what she's supposed to do. He also, he serves her food. He tells her to stay with his maidens. No one should bother her. He makes sure of that. He blesses her. He makes sure that the, that the guys working for him make it easy for her, toss her some things. She should come every day. When she comes to him at night and comes to his feet, she does, he doesn't chase her away. He doesn't abuse her. He protects her. He defends her. But he could, could have simply said, Aunt Naomi, come, I have a room for you. And also, very strange, he goes out at night to watch the field, and he's going to sleep in the field. This is the richest man, the head judge. This is the equivalent of, uh, of the highest statesman in the land. And what is he going to do? He's going to go out at night and sit in his field and watch? What is he afraid of? People are going to come steal? So hire a guard. Hire the guard at company, and they'll send some guys, and they'll watch the, the field. He's going to go watch himself. So it's hard to understand Boaz. And if we go into his history, it's even harder to understand. Boaz is described as a chassid by the Targum in Megillat Ruth. He's a chassid. His prayer as a chassid ends the famine. But the Midrash tells us a horrible, horrible story. As we mentioned already, Ifsan is Boaz. And he's one of the Shoftim, one of the judges we learn about in Sefer Shoftim. And in Sefer Shoftim, in the Gemara, we learn that Ifsan had 60 children. He had 30 boys, and he had 30 girls. I imagine more than one wife. And he was very, very wealthy. And the Gemaran Baba Batra says that he made 120 weddings. His 60 children, he made each of them a wedding in his home and a wedding in the home of their in-laws. But all of his 60 children died during his lifetime. And the Gemara asked, why? What happened? It says when he made his party... He didn't invite Manoah and Slalponit. Who's Manoah and Slalponit? They were the parents of Samson and they were childless. They couldn't have a child. So he didn't invite them. Gemara says he didn't invite them because he wouldn't get an invitation back. I don't know, maybe he didn't invite them because he didn't want them to feel bad that they didn't have a wedding. But the Gemara seems to say the first. And all of his children die in his lifetime. So it seems here that Boaz lacks kindness. He lacks kindness to the parents of Shimshon, of Samson. He lacks kindness to Manoach and Slalponit. What's going on? To me, it sounds very similar to the story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students, 24,000 students. And they didn't respect one another, and they all died in this period of the Omer. And then we see that Rabbi Akiva doesn't give up. He goes and he finds five new students. And then he says, what's everything about? After all that, after his 60 children die, who is Boaz going to have? Who's going to go forward from him? This baby he will have with Ruth. What's going on? What's the story? Why do we really read this in Shavuot to learn this crazy history of, of David HaMelech? It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to relate to Shavuot, to the giving of the Torah. So let's go back to the beginning. 
If you want to talk about the period of time, it should just say, It was during the days of the judges. Why? The judging of the judges. I saw in Me'am Loez, it says that this was a period that the judges were judged. A person would come to the judge, and he would stand in front of the judge, and the judge would pronounce sentence. And the person would say, well, before you're going to do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. You say, I should get 10 whips on the back, grabs the judge and gives him 20. The judges were being judged. Some say that that's what it is. The judges were being judged because they didn't do their job. The Navi also says there was no king. Everyone did what they want. But is that this period, this period of lawlessness? Then we understand why Hashem brought a famine. But Rabbi Nohari says no. He says the opposite. He says, what does it mean, Vahi bime shofet hashofetim? And this he didn't hear before. Vahi bime shofet hashofetim, it was when the judges judged. When the judges judged bemidat hadin. The main judge was Ifsan, was Boaz. He judged very harshly. He judged bemidat hadin. Perhaps that's why the people revolted somewhat, because the judges were very, very strict. The Gemara tells us that the reason why Yerushalayim was destroyed in Baba Metziah was because the judges followed the book, they judged strictly, and they lacked mercy. The Midrash explains that we cannot exist in a place lacking mercy. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, as we discussed, before, a few weeks ago, said that any member to be part of the Bedin Hagadol, he had to have been married, he had to have children. Because if he wasn't married and he didn't have children, he could not understand Rahamim. He could not understand mercy. He lacked mercy. Even a judge who's judging Bemidat Hadin must have a piece of mercy. And it seems to have, be contradicting. Contradicting terms. Judgment, mercy. Judge, we say judge Elohim midat adin. Mercy, havaya midat rachamim. Which one is it? But it seems the Gemara says that Jerusalem was destroyed because there was a lack of mercy. This Megillah is written by Shmuel Hanavi. He writes it after the period of the judges. And he's teaching us what does it mean to be a judge? Where did they go wrong? What does it mean to be tough? And what is kindness? There was a famine, explains Rabbeinu Ha'ari, when the judges are strict, when people are strict with each other, when people only judge each other, when there's a tremendous lack of mercy, what happens? Hashem mirrors our behavior back to us. If society has no mercy, then Hashem shows no mercy to that society. Then Hashem reacts in the same manner. We have It was when the judges judged with no mercy, when they judged harshly, when they judged and what happened? There was a famine in the land. Also Hashem judges harshly. The Megillah tells us, that this person, Eli Melech, Alai Melech, the head guy, the Parnas of the door, the richest person, the person who could support everyone, 
He took on the attitude of Midat Hadin, Calvinism. Hashem's punishing them. Who am I to step in and take care of them? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to step in. Hashem's punishing them. They deserve it. Therefore, I'm going to move to Moab. They're knocking on my door and saying, Eli Melech, help us. Give us money. Give us food. Take care of us. No, 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 no. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And where does he go? The perfect place to not practice chesed. Why are we forbidden to marry into the Moabite people? Why are they forbidden to marry to us? Because they lack mercy. Because when we left Egypt, we said, please help us. Let us pass through. Give us something. You're our cousins. You're the children of Lot. And what did they say? Come near us, we'll kill you. Since they didn't practice any kindness, we have nothing to do with them. We know that the Jewish people are described with the word gever. Rabbi Abitan always used the word gever. Gever, gemilut chasidim, doing good deeds. Baishanim, embarrassed their humble people. And rachamim, merciful people. That's who we are. We cannot join with cruel people. A cruel person can't be from the seed of Abraham. Elimelech, the beggars come knocking, I'm out of here. Therefore, he deserves death. He's judging Bemidat Hadin. He's judged Bemidat Hadin. He could have been like the king. He should have been like the king. And what does the king do? The king must support and take care of his people. Not run and hide. Not shun responsibility. He takes the gifts that Hashem gives him and he does not use them for what they should be used, he shouldn't be the king. This is really the message of the Megillah. Kindness, chesed, allows a person to live. Remember why is Shmuel HaNavit writing this? Because he's writing us to tell us what it really means to be a king. He's writing us to tell us what it means to have ancestors of David HaMelech. What is it the ancestor of David HaMelech? The rabbis ask, who's a chassid? Chassid is not the guy with the strimal and the bekesha and the whole uh, nine yards. He's one who does kindness. Machlon and Kilion. They were required to do kindness. They had money. They had land. They had food. They had animals. They had everything you could imagine. They should have taken responsibility. They had expectations. They should have given and encouraged other people to give. For a kingdom, everyone has to be kind. We have said that in Perkavod, it says, mine is yours and yours is mi- and yours is yours. doesn't mean like it says, mine is mine, giving you the keys. But what we have to say is, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to do what I can for you. I'm here for you to lean on my shoulder. And I'm not expecting anything in return. We see the Torah begins with chesed. Hashem clothes Adam and Hava. It ends with chesed. Hashem buries Moshe. The chesed of burying someone is a chesed of emet because there's no payback. This is what Pirkei is telling us. What's mine is yours. What's yours is yours is because I'm willing to help you. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm not Boaz in the beginning. I'm not Boaz when he doesn't invite Manoach to his house for a meal. But I'm, I'm Boaz later on.
Boaz loses the 60 kids. He loses it all. And the Omer, we just finished the Omer. Tonight we finished counting the Omer. The Omer is a period, the whole Omer is a time of deen. A time of strict judgment. There was a famine. Boaz replaces Elimelech. Elimelech should have been, but he ran away. He shunned his responsibility. He couldn't be king. And so the scepter, so to say, moved to his nephew. Boaz is the new candidate. And Boaz now learns his lesson. He makes sure to do his chesed. He prays for the people. He helps the people. He ends the famine. And Boaz is given the opportunity to create malchut, to create kingdom. We see Naomi and everything she does in there. In the end, she's doing to try to help Ruth to have a future. We see Ruth. Everything she does is to help Naomi. This is complete and total chesed. This is the lesson of the Megillah. The lesson of chesed, the lesson of doing kindness, the lesson of helping others who need. David HaMelech is going to become the king. Only through the aspect of chesed. Why is he chosen? We have the story of him running after, taking care of his sheep. Kind acts temper judgment. We always have to mix into the judgment kindness. We say lematek to sweeten etadin, to sweeten the judgment, to sweeten the justice, to sweeten to sweeten the, the, the judgment of all. That's our job in this world to do that. Without mercy, what does Hashem do? He sends a famine. Hashem behaves to us as we behave to others. You know, the rabbis tell us there should have been a famine in the time of Shaul HaMelech. Shaul lacked mercy or the proper mercy. We see Shaul HaMelech, he has mercy for who? The king of Amalek. On the other hand, Nov Ir HaKohanim, he kills all the Kohanim. But if the famine came at the time of Shaul, there was no way to lift it. So the famine comes at the time of David HaMelech because David HaMelech's reaction will allow the famine to be lifted. The lesson of Shavuot is that we're given on Shavuot a Torah, but the Torah is a Torah of Chesed. After the deen of these 49 days, after the deen of this period of the Omer, what do we have to do? We have to go from the deen to Torah Chesed. We have to be like Ruth. We have to be like Boaz in the end.